0: working. Social justice is in today. Can't go anywhere on social media without hearing somebody's uh, uh, complaint, somebody's tirade about something, awareness on some kind of an issue. Uh, But are we going about doing justice the right way. You know, when I think about what we see in the world and what is tabled under doing justice, we see that a lot of what God says is just has been twisted. What is good is called evil and what is evil is called good. You think, as simple as the example of abortion and the whole LGBTQ deal. We have something that God says is wrong being called good. And then another thing that God says is, is evil is, is called good. more apt to speak out for the the unjust we call, yeah, I don't know, just get worked up about this stuff. When I think about it, God is just according to the word of God. And so when we, we talk about justice and and doing what is right and what is good and standing up for what is right and good we need to look at what the word of god has to say and so today i just want to consider it is a very broad picture that i'm going to give you this morning but i want us to consider what god has to say about doing justice in our world, what it looks like to stand for what is right, for what is good, for what is true. Almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah cried out against a people who were taking advantage of others for their own gain. And he warned them, he said, look, at the same time that you're fasting, You satisfy your selfish desires, and you oppress your workers. Is this really the kind of fasting that I want? Do I merely want a day when people humble themselves, when they stretch out on sackcloth and ashes? Is that really what you call a fast, a day that is pleasing to the Lord? No, this is the kind of fast that I want. I want you to remove the sinful chains, to break away the ropes of the burdensome yoke. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to provide shelter for the homeless and the oppressed. When you see someone naked, clothe them. Don't turn your back on your own flesh and blood. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58. Verses three to eight. The prophet told them what God expects of his people. He warned them to stop oppressing one another, to stop using the excuse of religiosity and their fasting to cover up their sin. Around that same time, the prophet Micah wrote, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6 verse 8. Here again, God made his will clear to his people. But the people would not listen. By the time we get to the prophet Jeremiah, there's no going back. God told Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. For I am going to destroy them. And that's what he did. He judged the nation of Judah. But I thank God that he also kept his promise to preserve a remnant of people who would remain faithful to him. Our God is a just God, but he is also a God of mercy. You may be wondering what all this has to do with the book of Nehemiah. That's what we've been going through together. I mean, isn't Nehemiah about rebuilding a wall? Well, it is and it isn't because beyond building a wall, this is about the people of God and their hearts before him. That's the way it always is with God. He longs for the hearts of his people to turn to him, to follow his ways, to love him. And after the exiles began to return from this judgment, some of the leaders again begin to take advantage of their people's troubles. They have not learned anything. And when Nehemiah came to govern the people, this was not immediately apparent. The focus is on rebuilding the wall, and they're going to do that. But in chapter 5, as the wall is halfway finished, and the people, they've survived the threat of attack. Thanks to the Lord their God, now the people come to Nehemiah. And the truth comes out about the sin that threatens to demolish the work of God from within. The same sins that were committed beforehand are now again being committed in Nehemiah's day. And this is a major test for the people of God. We can focus sometimes so much on outside, you know, look at them and what they're doing in the world and the uh, attacks. But what about our own hearts? What about what is going on amongst the people of God? And so if you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5, in verses 1 to 5, we're going to Take a look at the this sin that threatened to undo the work of God's people, this, this uh, situation that came up, and then the response of Nehemiah as we continue. Chapter 5, verse 6 and on. Instead of taking advantage of one another, God's people ought to give generously out of reverence for God. This is God's idea of justice for his people, that instead of living for me, we would live for him and give to others. That instead of living for myself, that I would live for Christ and would give as he gave of himself So let's read Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine." And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. For our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. It's not a very... Pleasant situation. And so a loud outcry arose from the people who are in deep distress. And three things are mentioned here to Nehemiah. We have in verse 2 that they're large families, they need food. We need grain to stay alive, Nehemiah. We're dying. In verse 3, they've mortgaged their property. Their fields, their vineyards, their houses, they had to sell the farm. Okay? Or mortgage it. And then they can't pay it. Because they got all the king's taxes, so we gotta borrow money to pay the king's taxes. In verse four. And all of this led to even the fact that their children were taken as as collateral because they had nothing else to give. What might have begun as a famine and and high taxes and some things that maybe the leaders of Judah could not control ended in starving families that were taken advantage of by their own people. Now, this greatly angered Nehemiah. This is unjust. This is not the way that it was to be among the people of God. And so he considers what to do and he holds these men accountable being in a position to do so. Let's read from verse 6 to 13. Nehemiah 5, verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials and I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who are being sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold back to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Now let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests, and I made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from this house, from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise so may he be shaken out and empty and all the assembly said amen and they praised the lord and the people did as they had promised amen it's pretty pretty awesome that the way that it ended but it didn't begin so greatly. Nehemiah sees this problem and, and he's angered. The word there, it's a strong word. This is not, you know, uh, oh, I'm sorry. He was upset, and rightly so. But he does not act rashly either. There is such a thing as being angered and yet, and rightly angered, and yet acting wrongly. And so he takes thought. He thought about the matter. And he does act on his anger. But he acts in a way that is in accordance with God and his word. he brought charges against the nobles and officials before all the people, in verse 7. And he charges them, not based on what he thinks, but on the the Word of God. The charge, uh, which you will see if you look in your Bibles, in uh, verse 7 and verse 10, is that they were exacting interest. On their loans. Usury. In, in, in older older translations use that term. Now, what's wrong with interest on loans? I mean, we live in a world where there's interest on loans. It's not abnormal to us. But this was a practice that was not to be a part of the people of God. This was not... Something as Deuteronomy, uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 23, 19 and 20. And God said, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest. And so what they were doing was very clearly against the word of God. They were not to take advantage of their poor brothers in this way. Not only does Nehemiah point out that this is against God's law, but he points out how hypocritical it is for them to put their own people in bondage instead of buying back their brethren. Verse eight, not only were they not like not helping, but they were making the situation worse. So if a good Jew wanted to put money forward to buy back his poor brethren who was enslaved, he was not only going to have to do that, go to the nations to buy back his brethren, he was going to have to go to his own brother's. Now, the nobles and officials have nothing to say, and they shouldn't have anything to say. This isn't the place for excuses. I'm one to jump quickly to the, oh, I'm sorry, when sometimes you need to, if you really, really do mean it, you don't have any excuses. And so Nehemiah speaks again and he says, what you're doing is not good. And he's very clear about why it is not good. They were not living in fear of the Lord. They were not thinking about his reputation and his name among the nations. Not at all. And so this root of not having any reverence for God came out very clearly in their actions here. They did not think at all of what God had to say. At the core of their sin was this greater issue that they were no longer worshiping the Lord their God as he had created and called them to do. And sometimes we miss this. What we do is we address the symptom of the problem. Well, that's unjust. Unjust. Was deal with the heart. We'll need ultimately in all of this injustice in the world to repent of their rebellion against God. For the people of God were no longer representing God as holy. For they had made his name a reproach among the nations. And so Nehemiah urges them to return everything. You know, I love the response of the nobles. They say, we will do just as you say, verse 12. It's a rare occurrence of God's people, and it's followed up by actual action. In verse 13, the people did as they had promised. Reminds me of Zacchaeus in the New Testament. Here was a man who took advantage of people. You didn't care. And there's this. Willingness to make things right. And in the story of Zacchaeus, we see that it's because of Jesus. He met Jesus. In this story, it is because they are flatly told and bluntly told. You are not fearing the Lord. You're doing what is wrong. And they kept their word it's refreshing to me when our world is i think a lot of words a lot of oh i'll do this and i repent and we talk about repentance as a change of mind and it is but a true change of mind leads to a change of your life and that is something that's very clearly illustrated here in the people They did what was right. Not only do we have this example of the people's uh, repentance, but we also have the generous example of Nehemiah at the end of the chapters uh, from verse 14 to 19. I'll read. Nehemiah 5.14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, that 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people, and they took from them for their daily ration. 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember, For my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah set the bar pretty high when it comes to giving generously. He had every right to take the food allowance of the governor, but he and his companions and officials also, which says something about his leadership, they also took nothing. Can't help but think about somebody coming up to Nehemiah and and saying to him, you know, why give so much, Nehemiah? Why Why don't you take a little bit? Like you could take 10 shekels of silver. You could take maybe like Half the food allowance. Just. Just take a little bit, just serve yourself a little bit. Sometimes I think that's the way that we approach God. But Nehemiah didn't live for himself. Verse 15, he gives the the reason. Why he did what he did. And he said, I did it out of fear of God. I did it because I honor my God. And I have a reverence for him. This is the right motive for doing good. We may not take advantage of someone. But what is our motive for that? is our motive to please God. And Nehemiah ends, he prays that God would remember him for the good that he had done. Now, did God remember Nehemiah? He did. In fact, we have the book of Nehemiah in this chapter as a wonderful testimony that God regards the generosity of his people and their hearts of reverence for him with delight. Instead of taking advantage of one another, God calls us to give generously out of all that he has given to us. I want to focus very briefly on three thoughts that flow from the text. when we consider justice and mercy. And the first is that we definitely should not be taking advantage of others. Probably not a good idea. The second, that it is good and it is just to stand up for the oppressed. And thirdly, that we ought to be generous out of a desire to please God. Ought to be generous because he is a generous God. And consider briefly what that looks like. So first, God's people are not to take advantage of one another. Jeremiah 22, 3. I've already quoted from some of the prophets, so here's another one. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness. Righteousness. Don't just speak about it. Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Now, the first I don't know what the first thing you think about, but the first thing I think about is I don't shed innocent blood. Well, what did Jesus say? To hurt someone. We, I think, do this in more subtle ways. We think to ourselves like David, well, I didn't take that poor man's one ewe lamb. But what else do we do? What sins do we commit in our own hearts against others? I think a lot of times we we may approach our relationships and, and sometimes we think about what we can receive out of that rather than what we can give. Our good deeds can be done with selfish motives instead of to please God. Maybe we give time or Money, or, you know, we even our listening ear, we're present with people, but we only do it when it's comfortable for us. Is that what God calls us to? To put our own comfort ahead of helping someone else? I believe these things are equally unjust, and quite often they're a matter of the heart. And the motive in what we do. It's important to consider these things. So we're representing a God of justice and mercy. Do we represent him in our attitudes? As well as in our deeds. Instead of thinking about. What we can get out of our relationships with others. Start thinking about what we can give. Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. I know receiving something in and of itself is not taking advantage of someone. What are we desiring in our Receiving. God's people are not to take advantage of one another. So consider your heart. As I think about these things, I I pray, search me, O God, and know my heart, see if there may be any wicked way in me. My desire is is not only to to avoid the, the obvious things, but to... Represent him from in all things, even if it's hidden from others. Now, Nehemiah stood up for the oppressed. He did something about it. Now, he he was the governor of the land, so I, I hope he would do something and have the ability to do that. But all of God's people were called to this same call. I began with a quote from Isaiah 58. What was it that God desired? What was the religious devotion, the fast that God desired from the people? It was that they stop oppression, that they feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, that they take care of one another in essence, rather than taking advantage of them. God's people are a people who are to promote and facilitate and live justice and mercy and why is that? Because he is merciful and just. It's been said by some apathy or indifference is worse than hate. And in, in some ways that is true to Forget about a need to not care about something or someone is is equally wrong. Sins of omission to not do what God's law tells us to do is equally as sinful as doing something against God's law. Nehemiah responded to this outcry by doing what he could in his position to bring a just solution to that oppression. When a need is brought to our attention, do we do something about it? I don't know, if, I didn't know if I wanted to say this, but there's a lot of talk about raising awareness and you know, posting on social media, but I don't believe that's doing justice and loving mercy not in its fullness anyway. Having our say and and helping people to see the truth is huge. Words matter. If we do not stand for and promote the truth and promote what is right, and good, and true. How are people, can we expect anything of our unjust, lost world? We of all people need to stand on the truth, and our words matter. But so do our actions. And if all we do is post on social media about abortion or sex trafficking or Racial issues or the homeless or the drug problems that we see in our community or whatever it may be. And that's it. I don't believe that we're really acting in justice. And This is convicting for myself, because what do I do? How can I help and I really don't have. Tons of answers. I'm I'm left kind of. My heart it hurts because I know that I can't do everything and I don't always know what to do. But, you know, I find myself using that as an excuse to do nothing. As an excuse. Oh, well, I don't know how to help the homeless or I don't know how to help this. How to. Help whatever I with Somebody is struggling with the thinking about abortion and. I don't have a person that's right here stuck in my life. So what do I do? I don't have all the answers. But I want us to consider that we not just say things. That we follow that up with with, uh, how we live our lives. You know? Because just bashing the, the enemy, so to speak, that doesn't stop anything. Quite often it's not done from a spirit of of love and, and of care for those people who are saying these horrible things. You know, I think we better be angry about things like abortion. But I would love to see us not just get angry And just leave it at that and lash out at people. But consider things like, how can I help? Is there a way that I individually or as a church that we could help the pregnancy care center in Lethbridge or whatever, something like that? And and I want us to seriously think about these things. Because there's many practical ways we could do. We could show mercy and stand for justice. So let's consider that. Know that we can't ignore the issues at hand. If we're going to speak out, well, let's do something. Why do we do things? Why do we live with justice and mercy and give generously? We do so out of reverence for Christ. Our Lord said in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 and 36, When you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. This is how Nehemiah lived his life. This is our calling. To give, to please God and not to receive some kind of a benefit. Giving isn't about being comfortable. Don't give to receive. Don't love to be loved. Instead, we ought to ask ourselves, I need to ask myself, how can I show love to another? Can I do good to my brother simply because I remember what the Lord has done for me? There's no higher calling than to display the justice and mercy of God in our dealings with others. This is what we were created for to reflect His image and His character. Jesus went to the cross to satisfy the just demand of the law of God in a supreme act of mercy. So if we claim to be a follower of Christ, we don't have a lot of excuses. We're not of those who take advantage of others' troubles. Those who give only to receive. Rather we are those who have been redeemed to give generously out of reverence for Christ to so take thought on these matters to stop and consider whether we are truly living to please God Instead of living for ourselves, God calls us to live a life of justice and mercy for Him. I want to ask next week for testimonies of how God has worked in your heart. A way in which either you were able to or you are committing to Reflect God's justice and mercy in your relationships with others. And this may be simple as starting it in in your heart and home. Am I a merciful parent or sibling? What does justice look like in in our hearts? Uh, Consider these things. Justice is about not taking advantage of others. And it is about standing up for those, uh, for what is right, for what is good, true. Let's remember these things.